I appreciate uh, our brother's faithfulness and sharing some thoughts with us tonight from Philippians and leading our minds in fervent prayer. Hope that you'll continue to be in prayer for me as I endeavor to preach to you. I have a mind this evening to call your attention to 3 John. We know the Apostle John wrote the Gospel according to John, and then he wrote three small epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I want to try to preach to you some tonight from 3rd John, beginning in verse 1. There's only one chapter. It's a very small book, only 14 verses in the entire book, but worthy of our attention. The elder under the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So John is writing this letter to a brother named Gaius. And he was a well-beloved brother, highly esteemed in the Christian church of the first century. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. They had a fellowship in the truth that was very special. I'm sure all of us have people that we love dearly that don't share our doctrinal convictions. I do. I have family that really doesn't believe that salvation is alone by grace. I love them. But there's a special bond in this gospel. You can you can go out to California and be among primitive Baptists that believe this doctrine, this truth, and you just write it home. Even in California. So, Gaius was a well-beloved brother, and John loved him in the truth, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with the writings of John, particularly in 1 John. He's constantly talking about the love of God. And he says, uh, perfect love casteth out fear. And the only perfect love I know anything about is God's love. And the more you and I know something about God's love for us, the less fear we're going to have. Because not only does God love us with a perfect love, He has all power, both in heaven and in earth. He's our shepherd. He is our heavenly Father. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. So John says that perfect love casteth out fear. And fear hath what? Torment. You have enough fear in you, and you're going to be tormented by it. 
The Bible says, Paul said to Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now, if you and I see an automobile accident about to happen, we might feel some fear, but we don't get stuck in that fear to the point that we can't drive anymore. That would be a spirit of fear that came on you where you couldn't even drive anymore. I see a rattlesnake, I'm scared. But when the snake's gone, I get over that. But a spirit of fear is something that dominates you. It takes over your life. And and uh, God has not given us the spirit of fear. So if God doesn't give it to us, where do you reckon it comes from? I think it comes from Satan. He loves for us to be filled with fear. A lot of people are so scared of this virus, they won't get out of their homes. They're petrified by fear. So, we don't want to have a spirit of fear on us. So, John says that perfect love casteth out fear. And the more you and I know about God's love for us, the less we're going to be fearful. And John, I want to notice with you an interesting expression that John made in the Gospel of John and verse 23. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, this is, the, this is in the upper room. They are gathered for the institution of the Lord's Supper. And while they are there, one of the disciples leans over on the bosom of Jesus. And notice... Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples. Can you imagine what that would have been like? To just laid your head over on the breast of Jesus Christ and heard his heartbeat. That's John. And then John says, he describes that disciple whom Jesus loved. Did you know he uses that expression a number of times in the Gospel of John? Whom Jesus loved. Who is that? Well, John is talking about himself. I'm, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, at first thought, you might say, well, now that's not appropriate, John, to say that Jesus loves you more than he loves anybody else. That's not what John is saying. He's not saying that Jesus loves me more than anybody else. What does he mean when he keeps saying, I am that disciple whom Jesus loved? Here's what I believe. If y'all have more light on it, you can share it with me. John was approached by Jesus when he was a young man, probably a teenager. We all think of John as being that beloved disciple, the apostle of love. But when Jesus called him, he was not. Do you remember when John asked Jesus to call down fire from heaven on a village? Does that sound like love to y'all? 
John had a lot of growing to do spiritually, like all of us. And I think as John grew in his understanding of Jesus' love for him, I think John was just so enraptured by the fact that Jesus could love him. I don't think he ever got over it, that Jesus actually loved him. How many in this house tonight can really believe that Jesus actually loves you? I want to tell you, Today at the dinner table, Sister May and Sister Jeanette were talking about a classmate of mine that they ran up with this morning getting gasoline and asked where they were going. And she said, I'm going to Cool Springs to hear Brother Sammy. And uh, my old classmate said, you know, he was the meanest boy in our class. <laughs> Annie Merle says the same thing <laughs> out in Allentown. Now, I'm not proud of that, understand. And they might be exaggerating a tiny bit, I don't know. (laughs) I doubt it. But I'll tell you what, I am amazed. I stand in awe of the fact that Jesus loves me. I'm that disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's how I think John feels. He just could never get over it. He loves me. And he was the nearest to Jesus at the table and laid his head over on his bosom. And I want to say tonight, I think when you and I are in the right attitude, we're going to be amazed that he really loves us. There's nothing lovable in us. Now, let's just get honest. The Bible says there's nothing good in me. That is, in my flesh. If you think that Jesus had a lot of reasons to love you because you're so sweet, and you're just like a little angel dipped in sugar, you got a lot to learn about yourself. (laughs) Did you know we're all sinners? Unworthy. Unworthy. Paul said he was the wretch. How many of y'all feel like you're the wretch tonight? I'm serious. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. I don't think Paul ever got over the fact that Jesus loved him. It's incredible. I can kind of understand how my mama loved me, my daddy loved me. I can understand how I'm amazed sometimes at Nelda loving me, but... I want to tell you, for God, the holy God of this universe, to look down on a pitiful little creature like me and love me. So, listen to the text. Now, there was leaning on on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. And he's the one who's writing uh, the passage here. In first John, in third John, the elder unto the well beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. 
Does that sound like a wonderful attitude for a pastor to have? And by the way, that word wish, in my center reference column, it defines that as pray. And I believe that's what John was praying for. Beloved, I pray above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. He was praying as an old man. Now, when he's writing here, he's an old man. He's the only one of the twelve apostles that did not die the death of martyrdom. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded in Rome. One of the brethren was skinned alive. Another one was drugged by wild horses until dead. If you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you, you might find that an interesting book. John, they tried to kill him, but God spared his life. He died from natural causes. But he's an old man. And he's writing to Gaius. And Gaius had been standing up for John because there was a brother in the church named Diotrephes who wanted to have the preeminence. Do y'all remember Diotrephes? Diotrephes was in the church. He was a brother in Christ, but he was not a loving brother at all. And... Uh, in verse 9, John would say, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Do you all think a brother like that would be a blessing to a church? He wants to have the preeminence. He wants to be recognized above everybody else. you all think somebody like that's a blessing to the church? No, Diotrephes was not a blessing. And... He he uh, he is casting brethren out of the church. Verse 10. Wherefore, if I come, I'll remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. I tell you, that's, that's a bad attitude to have, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Wanting to just cast people out of the church. Well, Gaius had stood up for John. And, and, and John is commending him for his receiving the brethren with love. He says in verse 3, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. These were probably traveling ministers who were being cared for by Gaius, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, uh, thou shalt do well. So Gaius is a beloved brother in the truth. And John is writing him and commending him for showing love to the ministers rather than 
the way Diotrephes was treating them by wanting the preeminence and casting them out. So John is uh, he's praying for Gaius. And what does he pray? Beloved, I wish or pray above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Let's notice three things that John is praying for. First of all, he's praying that Gaius will prosper. Now, that's the same word that uh, the apostle uh, uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let's notice verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. That's talking about finances. That's talking about God prospering somebody financially and they're to lay by in store the first of the week as God has prospered them that there be no gatherings when I come. God desires that we prosper. There's no sin in prospering. Do you all believe there is? Now, he's not talking about getting rich, being richer than anybody else, but he's praying that they will have what they need in this life. Did you, would you pray for your brothers and sisters that they might prosper and have enough to eat and drink and wear and a nice house to live in and a car to drive? That's not a, that's not a selfish prayer. That's a wonderful prayer. I tell you, it's sad when people don't have enough to live on. Now, most of us, probably all of us here tonight, are prospering. Anybody here tonight that didn't, didn't have enough to eat? How many of y'all had too much to eat? <laughs> How many of us have got closets packed with clothes? How many of us have at least one automobile, if not two? How many of us have got more than one pair of shoes? Did you know there's a lot of people in this world tonight that don't even have one pair of shoes? I saw a lot of that when I was in Africa. I saw people in Africa that could take a piece of rubber and make them some flip-flops. I'd say you and I are prospering financially. You say, well, Brother Sam, I don't live in a mansion. <laughs> you don't need a mansion. Now, there's nothing wrong with living in a mansion if you can afford one. But I want to tell you, uh, we need to learn to be content with such things as we have. But we ought to pray for one another that we might prosper financially. And then be in health. Did you know good health is a great blessing? I've often said your health is your greatest wealth. It doesn't really matter how much you've got financial in this world. If you don't have good health, it's hard to enjoy anything. So we ought to be praying for one another's good health. And if you ever notice the prayer requests we get at church, 90% of them are about people who have physical ailments. We seldom ever pray for people's spiritual health, which is probably kind of sad. But we pray for people that have cancer, heart trouble, diabetes, 
having surgery. That's good. We pray. I want good health. And, uh, and I want y'all to pray that God, I appreciate people's prayers on our behalf when we were quarantined. Thank God we didn't end up with COVID-19. It's, it can be a rough trip, as many of you know. And so we ought to be praying for good health. It's not wrong to pray for good health. See, when you love people, you're going to pray for their prosperity. You're going to pray for their good health. And then notice. Even as thy soul prospereth. Now, the soul, that's an interesting word in the Bible and kind of hard to define. It's used in, in different ways. But the best definition I know of soul, as I understand it, is that your soul is made up of your mind, that is your intellect. And your will, that is your ability to make choices, and your emotions, your feelings. That's your soul. And I want to tell you, you and I need to have healthy souls. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. We ought to be praying for one another that our souls would prosper. That our minds would be healthy. <laughs> that our will would be healthy. Where we make good choices in life. And we ought to be praying uh, that our emotions are healthy. Just good emotional health. That's a wonderful thing. And you know, that's something you and I can pray for. And that's something we ought to be praying for. And if we love like John loved, we'll be praying for one another. That uh, people will prosper and be, in, uh, and be in good health even as their soul prospers on this earth. You say, Brother Sam, I don't, I don't know that God wants us to do so well. Well, look at the life of Jesus when he was on this earth 2,000 years ago, walking about among men. What did he do? When he found sick people, he healed them. He didn't add to their sickness. He healed them. When he found hungry people, what did he do? He fed them. When he went to a wedding, the first miracle Jesus ever performed was at a wedding. And it was a very embarrassing situation. They ran out of wine. And you know what Jesus told his disciples to fill these water pots full of wine. And, and it's incredible how many gallons of wine that would have been. And what I think probably happened was Jesus not only provided enough wine to keep from embarrassing the bride and groom and their families by running out, but he gave them enough to last them for days and weeks and perhaps even months, enough that they could sell when Jesus was here, he just went about doing good. <laughs> Have y'all ever looked at the life of Jesus on this earth and how just he just went about doing good? I believe the greatest commentary on the earthly life of Jesus is given in Acts 10 when Luke says he went about doing good. And you and I ought to be walking in his steps. Would y'all agree with that? <laughs> you and I will just be going around doing good. 
being a blessing to people. Last night, a lot of us, all of you were invited because I heard it last last Sunday night. Everybody was invited to Brother Wynn and Sister Laura's home for a sing and a supper. And I went. Nelda and I went. <laughs> and we enjoyed it. And we were blessed just to be there, to enjoy the food and the fellowship and the singing. They were a blessing. You and I need to open up our houses, our homes, and be hospitable and loving. You know, entertain strangers, the Bible says. <laughs> That's one of the evidences of a Christian life, that you entertain strangers. And I was talking about somebody you have no idea who they are and just let them into your house. But, you know, in the early days of America, you didn't have holiday inns and you didn't have Motel 6s everywhere waiting on you to get there at night. People stayed in people's homes. Brother William Nobles, who was a patriarch in this church, I remember him. I was at his funeral. I was four years old. I remember the day he was buried. He had asked that his new grave be covered with snow, and sure enough, it snowed that day. I remember the snow. There was a fence across the road there in front of that field, and the snow had banked up about two feet. I mean, it was something to see that much snow in Georgia. Brother William Nobles lived to be 93 years old, had a beard down to his waist. He used to have, when they would have meetings here, he would have company in his home. He'd have 20 and 30 people in his home. He had a cotton house where he put the men. You know, it wouldn't be bad sleeping on cotton. And the women got to stay in the house. And he'd kill a whole hog and a whole cow and just have a feast. Now, that was a brother in this church. I'll share this story with you all. My, my nephew Tracy says I bring up Brother Bird a lot, but uh, he did make an impression on me. Brother Bird was here one time and stayed at Brother William Noble's home. And he had false teeth, and he put them in between the logs in the cotton house. Next morning, his teeth were gone. <laughs> He just caught a bus and went home. He wasn't going to stay around without his teeth. Years later, when they tore that cotton house down, they found his teeth. But we're talking about people who were hospitable. That's going about doing good, isn't it? It's wonderful. You say, well, Brother Sam, you know, we don't have that nice a house. Well, that's okay. I don't think Brother William Noble's house was that much. I remember being in it. But I want to tell you, it was full of love and full of Christian hospitality. And you felt welcome when you were there. Just just do good. See, a lot of us would have more company if we could just serve, use uh, paper plates and plastic spoons and forks and put some hot dogs on the grill. But no, we think we've got to have everything just right. And you don't ever get around to doing that, do you? <laughs> you know, just go about doing good. That, that's, and see, John, John was telling, he, he, was, he was following the steps of Jesus. He was praying for Gaius, that Gaius would prosper and be in good health. Uh, as his soul was prospering. Now, 
He said, I want you to walk in truth. And oh, beloved, to know the truth. As our brother was sharing with us tonight, those Judaizers, those, those uh, Pharisees that were following Paul, wherever Paul went and established churches, these Judaizers would come in and they would say, Paul is preaching a heresy. He's saying that you don't need the law. All you need is grace. And they were trying to mix law and grace. And they were Judaizers. And they were trying to take people back under the law. And, and you remember what John said? John himself said in the first chapter of John, he said, the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I love that. Oh, he said the law was given by Moses, but Jesus brought us grace and truth. Have you ever noticed the Bible never talks about law and truth? Now, the law was true, but I want to tell you, the law by itself didn't give us any hope. You know what is really true that sets us free? Grace and truth. Unmerited favor. I wish I could preach <laughs> I want to tell you, this is glorious. This is the truth. You and I are blessed with it. And we ought to be sharing it with anybody and everybody that will listen to us. So John says, I love you in the truth. And I have no greater joy than that my uh, children... Let's see. Where is that verse? Verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk... In truth. Walk in it. Not just know it, but walk in it. Live in the light of God's truth. The fact that He loved you with a perfect love. That He died for you. And three days later, He came out of the grave for you. Live in that truth. Walk in it. Is that reality to us tonight? I hope it is. That's not just a fairy tale. That, that's not Mickey Mouse stuff. Jesus loved us. He died for us. He arose again. And you know what? He's coming back. In all of His glory. Not to die on a cross, but to get you and get me and take us to the Father's house in glory. So, now let me close tonight with this thought. That your soul is prospering. How do you know when somebody's soul is prospering, their mind, their will, and their emotions are prospering? If somebody is always going around sad and depressed and lonely and, and uh, they're gossiping, finding fault, did you know, I might not all say this, you might say, well, Brother Sam, don't say it. <laughs> but I, I, I'm going to say it anyway. If I went home with anybody in this house tonight and stayed with you a week, I bet I could find something to gossip about. <laughs> Y'all reckon? If you think that you are no longer sin-free, let me talk to your spouse. <laughs> Oh, that was scary, wasn't it? <laughs> no, beloved. But we, listen, 
When somebody is always down, and Brother Bob mentioned about when I was trying to keep the law, I remember very well, we were sitting in the hallway of my mom and dad's house one day, shelling peas, there was a lot of us there, you know, it was always a big job, shelling peas and butter beans. And, uh, <clears throat> and I'd already come under conviction of my sin. The Holy Spirit had convicted me and showed me what a sinner I was. I was about 13, 14. And I remember, you know what my family called me? Sad Sam. That was my nickname. And I remember my brother Franklin asking me one day in the hallway, Sam, why are you so sad? I was sad because of my sins. My soul was not doing well. Because I didn't know the truth then. I thought I had to get right with God in order to go to heaven. And the more I tried, the more I realized it's hopeless. One night I heard the gospel of my salvation. And let me tell you, it set me free. And nobody's called me Sad Sam since. <laughs> see, when you know the truth, your soul is prospering. But you see, when you're, when you're always down, everything's bad, it's going to get worse. You're gossiping about people. And I'm going to tell you, whoever you gossip to, they're going to gossip about you. <laughs> you think you're free from gossip? Come on now. <laughs> Y'all think I'm so perfect nobody's gonna nobody's gonna talk about me. If you if you gossip to people and they'll gossip to you, they'll gossip about you. That's not a sign of the soul being healthy. Murmuring, complaining, that's a sick soul. That's a mind and a will and emotions that are sick. And we need to have uh, let me tell you, if you're a child of God, under the favor of God, you ought to just be going around doing good, blessing people, and rejoicing in the hope of eternal life. Y'all know, we're not long for this world. I sent uh, Brother Jerry Collins' son a text this week, Brother Mike. And expressing my sympathy. And he sent me a text back and thanked me. And he said, as one of my friends said, none of us are going to get out of here alive. <laughs> Did you know 100% of the people you love will someday die? We're not long for this world. We're just pilgrims and strangers. But you know what? I got some good news. We're bound for a city. Not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. People think New York City is so grand. Well, it is. There's a lot of history up there. <laughs> a lot of sickness, too. I'm talking about a city not made with hands. You don't need any policemen. You don't need a garbage pickup. You don't need termite control. You don't, you don't need hospitals. You don't need jails. You don't need prisons. Not in that city. No, where you and I are going, it's glorious. Are you all living in the light of that? I hope you are. That's why you need to come to church. And that's why we as preachers need to remind you all where you're going. Thank you for your good attention.